Now, I'd like to introduce tonight's moderator, Laura Nelson. Laura J. Nelson covers transportation issues for the Los Angeles Times, including Metro, LADOT, bicycles, and pedestrians. She just came home last night after spending a week in San Francisco reporting on Asiana Flight 214. Previously, she has covered local business, entertainment, and national news at the Times, the Boston Globe, and the Tampa Bay Times. Laura attended USC, where she studied journalism and French. She's a native of Kansas City and lives in Silver Lake. Please give a warm welcome to Laura Nelson. Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. Um, I apologize in advance if I'm a little scattered. I got off a plane very late last night, and I'm very tired. So <laughs> now without uh, further ado, the other panelists tonight. Um, all the way on your left is Denny Zane. Denny is the founder and the executive director of Move LA, an organization that coalesces environmental, labor, business, and community leaders and organizations to create a robust transit system for Los Angeles County. Move LA initiated the campaign for Measure R, which will generate nearly 40 billion nearly $40 billion in transportation funding over 30 years. Zane also worked with LA Metro and Mayor Antonio Villaraigosa to create the 3010 plan, later called the America Fast Forward Program, and expanded the federal TIFIA Very Low Interest Loan Program for transportation. Previously, Zane served as a council member and as mayor of the city of Santa Monica, California, and as executive director of the Coalition for Clean Air, where he initiated the campaign for LA Metro to purchase natural gas buses. <laughs> okay, next up we have Nate Baird. Nate is a bicycle coordinator for the Los Angeles Department of Transportation. He works with other city staff, elected officials, and advocates to make the city a more bicycle-friendly place, implementing an ambitious 2010 bike plan that calls for 1,600 miles of bikeways over 30 years. Prior to working at LADOT, he worked for Metro's bike program. He has a master's degree in urban and regional planning from Cal Poly Pomona and received his undergraduate degree in sociology from Occidental College. He grew up in California's Central Valley. And last but not least, Jeff Wardle is currently the executive director of graduate transportation design at Art Center College of Design in Pasadena. The program reflects Jeff's passionate belief that in order to attain a sustainable world, we must view transportation from a holistic and integrated perspective. Jeff first graduated in vehicle and mechanical engineering and then attended the Royal College of Arts Vehicle Design Master's Program in London. <clears throat> He spent 20 years working with different car and vehicle manufacturers around the globe before repenting for his sins and becoming involved in full-time design education. He still consults to transportation companies around the world. Okay, so thank you everyone for coming. Uh, we're going to jump right in. The three panelists have very interesting things to talk about, and my goal is to let them talk as much as possible and me as little as possible. So um, starting in, um, I did some research as we were getting ready for this panel, and as we all know, the title is Will the Bicycle Kill the Car? Um, I thought it was important as a journalist to kind of give a couple of statistics that kind of put all of this in perspective with the understanding that bicycles are still a very important part of the way that we get around and the way that we finish that first, last, first mile, last mile section of our trips. Um, according to uh, surveys conducted in 2011, about 83% of Los Angeles County residents were still commuting by car, either carpooling or solo, uh, compared to about 7% who use public transit and about 1% who use bicycles. But 1% is still about 400,000 people, a very significant number and something that we shouldn't ignore. So the first thing that I wanted to talk about and something that... Um, people have started mentioning to me a lot since I started covering this topic about five months ago uh, is how much bikes hate cars and how much cars seem to hate bikes. This difficulty of these two groups to coexist peacefully on the roads that we have right now. So first, I was hoping that one of you might be willing to jump in and talk a little bit about kind of the struggle between these two groups, um, how we've seen that change, if at all, better or worse, and what steps we might be able to take to make that any better. I'll, I'll jump in. So, um, yes, I think it's a fact that uh, people change their mindsets according to what kind of transportation they're using. So when people are on bicycles, they hate cars, but when they get into their cars, they hate bicycles. And um, 
the, the reality is that we have to look at different forms of transportation, like cars and bicycles. We have to, we have to get these different forms of transportation to collaborate and not to compete. That's the, that's the mindset we need to get people into. And um, the, uh, I, I don't believe that the bicycle will kill the car, realistically. But that said, not only do 83% of Cal uh, Los Angelinos uh, use cars as their main form of transport, but typically 85% of car journeys only have the driver in them. And uh, what we really need to get towards is a, a future when we use the most efficient means of transportation for each journey we make. And there's no doubt about it that bicycles are the most efficient way for human beings to get across this planet. So that said, we need to make sure that everybody understands that bicycle riding is a really good thing so cars car drivers should not hate cyclists and cyclists need to remember that sometimes they drive cars too you know i i think we all just need to relax <laughs> right i mean problem is we're all just in too much of a hurry and we're kind of in each other's way i mean when i drive my car i'm not in particular pissed off at bicyclists. I'm pissed off at drivers and cars. You know, we're all in each other's way and in too much of a hurry. And partly that's because of the way we've designed our city. We've, we've created too much sort of spatial difference. And we, in order to get from one thing to the other, we got to be in a hurry. I think if we were to design our city so that we can relax, uh, then we wouldn't be as impatient with one another. And, and I would be very happy to share the road with bicycles and frankly with other cars, even maybe with people. <laughs> but, but it's really wow. about, <laughs> it's, it's really I think about, um, a lot about the way we design our city that forces us to, uh, to be in such a hurry and the time really has no consequence. I mean, kind of talking a little bit about design, uh, Nate, your work, um, one of the things that you're trying to do, right, is look at the city the way that it's already been built and figure out ways to make it better for everyone involved, especially for bikes, right? I mean, so talking about that, the larger infrastructure of Los Angeles that was built long before people were thinking about, like, multimodal issues, how do you, how do you go about doing that? What are the things that you guys are looking at? Well, the city of LA is really big, and I we have a lot of road to work with. I think um, we have a lot of opportunity to work with to do and to do better. Um, but yeah, the, the historic transportation system we have, while very auto-oriented now, was based on you know rail and suburbs and kind of the grid that we have and the multi-centric place that we have actually creates an a lot of opportunities for, for better transit, for, for more busways. Um, and all of those work, work together with, to make bike, biking um, better. Um, we have more lane miles per person than I think any city in the nation and than a lot of cities in the world. We have a lot of streets to work with. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of opportunity to, to reallocate space. Um, reallocating that space can be really difficult, um, but we have a really good bike plan in place that kind of gives us a lot of um, individual choices as we move, move towards that route. You know, we're, we're gonna go to a community by community and help communities think through um, you know, how, we, how we get around in the city. So Jeff, in terms of reallocating space, I mean, in terms of the design side of things, it's often very unpopular for drivers when we talk about taking away a lane that could be used for traffic. And bicyclists often believe that that's something that they deserve to have. So as a designer, how do you uh, balance those two things? So. Um before this event, I, I, I spoke with my graduate students in transportation design, and we were trying to figure out what would be a good way of making sure that we get the right balance between bicycles and cars on, on, on the sorts of roads we have around Los Angeles. And uh, we agreed that uh, what, what we need to do is kind of study what it is that people do not like about riding bicycles to try and identify some of the, if you like, the... Um, the, the, the discomfort zones about bicycle lanes from a, from a, a bicyclist perspective, not a, a car perspective. And I think one of the, one of the issues is that even if we, even if we uh, dedicate certain parts of the road 
to, uh, to for just for the use of cyclists, uh, cyclists still feel quite vulnerable from cars because generally they're just separated by, by white lines. So we need to make sure that not only do we think about uh, um, if you like a theoretical division of, uh, of roads and highways between cyclists and cars but actually how we make those uh, demarcations so that cyclists feel less vulnerable and whether that's by using some kind of um, uh, 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 fencing or, 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 or flower arrangements or whatever it is I, th I think uh, some kind of perceived physical separation more than a white line is, is one way of doing about it and I think the other thing is a lot of is about education of course uh, of uh, helping people understand the benefits um, of, of cycling uh, so if if car users understood that the more cyclists that are able to fairly efficiently cycle through an urban area actually the less less cars there will be and the cars will start to to flow more easily. So we eventually reach a tipping point. Um, again, we, we believe that it's important to look at the whole uh, issue holistically and also understand that, um, that the, the we, ha we have to look at perhaps creating, uh, and, I, and I'm sure Nate and his team have done this, but identifying where there are really useful corridors that connect uh, important centers and regions of, of, of a metropolis like Los Angeles together, uh, which maybe are not on the main streets that, that cars typically use, but maybe one block over, and, and creating definite um, cycle, cycle dominant roads, and then you have car dominant roads next to it. Maybe that's, maybe that's a solution. The, the exciting thing is that we're really moving in all of those directions right now. Um, I see David Summers here from City Planning, you know, and City Planning is looking at redoing the um, mobility element right now, and it's also a chance to kind of rethink our bike plan and kind of update it. Um, and really, the whole field in bicycle planning right now is really excited about doing cycle tracks, um, you know, these, these separated lanes um, where you have some curbing to kind of protect bicyclists from the arterial traffic. Um, and I think we have some really great opportunities for those in the city and um, city planning right now is looking at adding that as a layer on our bike plan. You know, wh what are these major corridors through the city that should have um, this extra space, this extra protection for the, what we say, the eight to 80 crowd. Um, and so if folks have thoughts about that, they should, you know, get those to city planning about what streets would be good for that. Um, we have streets right now that are ready for that once we get the funding. Um, and once we figure out the design issues, um, but we're, we've been doing a lot of buffered bike lanes throughout the city, which is, you know, the standard bike lane and then a little bit of a buffer next to it. Um, and with a little bit of funding, we can convert those into separated lanes um, and additional funding to make the, the signals work and make the intersections work really well, we can do that. Um, the last two fiscal years, we've done 150 miles of, of bike lanes across the city, and that's been a really, made a huge difference, I think, but they don't really connect to each other yet because we've been really um, putting them where we've had the space to and where some of our streets are kind of under capacity. We've just kind of been putting them there. The next big step for us is kind of connecting them together to make a really good network. And I do think, you know, our neighborhood streets are going to be the great opportunity for that, kind of stitching all of them together. And then the other big thing that we've been doing is, is really having the difficult conversations in communities about reallocating space where it is difficult, but where the benefit is really great in terms of the connectivity that you get in our network. Um, and so we propose 40 miles of bike lanes that are really, really um, important um, gap connecting bikeways that, you know, you put in one lane and you connect together five or six investments that we've ever made, and that really makes biking possible for a, a lot more trips. Um, and so we'll keep presenting those um, to our neighborhood councils, to our council offices, and really kind of saying, you know, here's the benefit that you get from making this investment. Yes, we're talking about a little bit of extra travel time delay in the peak hour, but, you know, there's, it's, really wor it's really worth having that conversation with, with our stakeholders and with our elected officials. You know, what I think is really exciting about um, the moment that we're in now in Los Angeles, we like to say at Move LA that we're in a mojo moment. Because, not only because... Uh, voters had the extraordinarily uh, good judgment to vote 
more than two-thirds for Measure R and to put in play billions of dollars of investment in our transit system. But that is all happening concurrent with this development of a, of a bicycle and pedestrian movement as well. And I think these things together, the, the will of the voters, the uh, resources available for transformational investment, all of that really uh, cr is creating an opportunity for us to re-envision Southern California, not just Los Angeles, frankly. I mean, Los Angeles is the largest city in Los Angeles County, and Los Angeles County is the most populous in Southern California, but, but what we're seeing and talking about is really throughout the basin, throughout Southern California, there are bicycle, pedestrian, and transit movements in San Bernardino and Riverside counties as well. I mean, even Orange County might get a little mojo, who knows? Uh, <laughs> but this is a transformational moment, and I think, you know, being a leader uh, at this time, the new mayor, I think, has got an exceptional opportunity here to really uh, put into play a very different future. Um, and one of the things that we'll see, of course, with new transit and, and new bicycle pedestrian investments is that the, the roadbed that had been historically dedicated, I mean, how much, how much space, whether driving or parking, is committed to automobiles in our, in our community. It's amazing. It's 30%. It's, it's well, 30%. It's, ama it's amazing. And the investments that we're about to be making over the next two decades, I think, are going to liberate much of that space for other kinds of uses. And that part of what we need to be doing is reimagining how that transformation takes place. I actually wanted to touch on roadbeds. Um, we know from Measure R, as you know, Move LA was instrumental in getting that passed, that voters are willing to vote in something that is big and sexy and exciting when it comes to large transportation projects, right? I mean, the fact that we can build all these train lines and we can improve these bus lines and all the other things that Measure R will do for us, but voters have seen somewhat less uh, willing to pay for things like keeping the roads paved and some of the other things that make it hard for bicyclists and other people who aren't in their car and even people in their car to get around. So how do we tackle that? I mean, because you could argue that if you can't keep the roads paved, all these other questions are moot. Well, I'd like to jump on that right away. We have a, when I, we say mojo moment here, what we really mean, again, is that we should be thinking big, not just in 2008 and 2012, but in 2014, 2016 and beyond, that we have an opportunity still, voters have shown a willingness to rise to the occasion. The deficiency of Measure R is that it did not include the kind of investment program for bicycle and pedestrian investments that really were needed. But that's a mission that we should make sure is not lost on the next measure. And there will be a next measure. Not only is the new mayor talking about another Measure R too, but even uh, Supervisor Antonovich, who opposed Measure R, wants to do another ballot measure. There is a convergence now um, where opposition and support are coming together. Bicycle advocates need to make sure that there's a carve-out in some fashion for those kinds of investments so that that can be part of the future in an integrated way, not in a, you know, not in a plop art sort of way where we just sort of find some place, but in a well-integrated, strategic, well-designed uh, uh, investment plan. Um, oh, I see my bicycle advocates out here. Are are you already planning the carve out and measure R two? <laughs> uh, and, and and to build upon that, one of the one of the challenges we have is if we're looking at how to create a a, a terrific integrated transit and transportation system around a big region like this. Uh, we have to actually look at and plan for decades ahead. And very often the people who actually make the decisions about what gets spent on what have very short-term uh, uh, objectives, if you like. And so one of the, one of the things that uh, we try to do in our design program is to build upon the idea that if you can, if you can visualize these, uh, w what the world could be like 
uh, with a well-integrated and well-thought-out transportation plan, it makes it much easier for people who actually make the decisions to understand what it is that they're being asked to uh, invest our, our money in to, to make possible. And it's, uh, it's not easy, but it, it, it's really important to, to come up with these visions to, to show people what, what really can be possible with, with thought and perseverance. And I think, you know, the pedestrian program at LEDO, TSE, Valerie in the audience, um, my counterpart over in the pedestrian program, um, we're really showing right now that bike and pedestrian improvements are very affordable compared to a lot of the other investments we do. And so I'm kind of kind of leave the billion dollar question to our elected officials, but if we do decide to make more investments in transportation, the, the bike ped investments are a really good affordable option for us to really rethink how we use our streets, um, how to you know rethink how to make really good public spaces. So I think there's a there's a huge opportunity for us however that that goes. Kind of touching on that, um, this idea of like winning over the hearts and minds, right? Like that as we talk about making a city that is more multimodal, there are still a lot of people who are resentful of anything that doesn't seem to improve things for the car, right? If it's if not all the roads are paved and we're talking about doing all these other projects, shouldn't we really do all the car projects first? That attitude. So how do you go about as you know, the, as the work that you guys are doing, how do you go about convincing people or trying to change the attitude of Angelinos mm -hmm. that multimodal is a better thing for the city as a whole? Well, the, uh, that's a great question, and it, 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 it's not easy to convince people of that. But I think one of the things that we have to do is to actually uh, look at what the future of the automobile is and certainly in some of the work that I've done and some of the people that I've I meet and talk to um, there are some uh, assumptions that the car population is just going to grow and grow and grow and therefore we need to build more and more roads and infrastructure and and I, I somewhat disagree with that view of the future um, and I don't want to get too far away from uh, cycling but it actually has an impact on that uh, my own prognosis is that as we get nearer and nearer to uh, automated cars, cars that drive themselves, they actually will stream down the infrastructure that we have much more efficiently than when they're driven by human beings because we're not quite as quick as computers to make decisions. And um, therefore, in the longer term, uh, we actually need less uh, area of tarmac, if you like, to... Uh, to, to to house the vehicle uh, the car population, which allows more room for cycling and other forms of transit. And when I talk about this with some urban planners and traffic engineers, it, it comes as a surprise to them. Uh, but actually, as we investigate this, it, it, it's quite interesting. So um, I think there are other issues with automated vehicles which mean that car sharing becomes much easier because... And having to park cars becomes less of an issue uh, because when a car is finished serving one journey, it can serve somebody else's needs. And that, again, frees up more space for using infrastructure for, for, for cyclists and pedestrians, for that matter. So, Yeah, and I'm, I'm really hopeful that we get narrower cars, mm -hmm. even if, regardless of whether they're robot-driven or not. I'd really like to see more narrow cars. And when you travel the world, you see that people have more narrow cars, more na more narrow buses, more narrow vans um, that allow you to a lot a lot more space, a lot more room to kind of reallocate space. Um, I'm losing my train of thought. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll agree that narrowness is Im important because um, you can still have lots of legroom and, um, and and space inside, but actually width of vehicles is what costs a lot of energy. I want to break back in here and kind of get back to the central question, which is about how you can win over the hearts and minds of the hardcore drivers, right? And what can you do? And when I go to my public meetings and I'm talking about our projects, there really are a lot of multi-benefits of our bike, our bike lane projects and, and bike projects in general. Um, I'm thinking about right now, we want to do bike-friendly streets across the city. And, um, you know, that's a huge, it's a huge investment to start putting traffic calming in our roadbeds. And um, it's a huge... And I, we really have to figure out how to fund these. Um, but there's another great opportunity with, you know, storm drain management, with, you know, creating spaces that people care about, 
Um, and across the board with bike ped projects, there are just multiple benefits. We're not talking about just about mobility or access, but we're talking about um, you know making making your life more fun. I, I always talk about bicycling; it's really fun. And I think LA is a place where you can really discover a very vibrant bicycling culture. Um, there's just there's all the health benefits. There's just numerous, numerous benefits. So there's a lot of safety benefits. Um, you know, if you put in a road diet, you know, if you have a street that's two lanes in each direction, just by putting in that center left turn lane, you reduce motor vehicle collisions by 15 to 50%. That saves society a lot of dollars. That saves a lot of people their life. And um, there's just so many benefits of doing these simple investments and simple reallocating of spaces. Um, and that's really where the conversation needs to go. We can't be so centered on the car or the bike. You know, these are just tools. Um, we want to bring people to the broader context, the, the broader direction that we, we need to go as a society. Mm. I, th I think the voters are there. You know, I mean, I hate to keep coming back to Measure R, but, you know, 70, nearly 70% 70 of the voters voted for a measure, $40 billion measure, more than 70% of which would invest in transit. That was not a highway program. You know, back in 1980, you couldn't get but 50.1% for a half-cent sales tax for transportation. In 1990, we got 50.8%. But in 2008, we got 67.8%, and it's 70% transit. I think a transformation has begun to be made. I think that conditions themselves have already convinced people that cars only is a dead end. Cars got a long way to go. They're going to be part of our lives for, you know, decades, maybe centuries. And who knows the technological transformation. But they are not the only way to go. And voters, I think, have seen that. They're investing in transit. They will invest in bicycle and pedestrian. And they will support cities that are smarter and easier uh, and more accessible. And I think that transformation is happening. And as it happens, people will like it. And the political support for it will deepen rather than dissipate. I wanted to switch gears a little bit and talk more about bikes uh, specifically and about bicycle education. Um, as a woman, I own a bicycle and I try to ride it, although I don't ride it as much as I would like to. A lot of times because I am afraid to be in whatever the situation is that I'm in. And I did some research on this and it shows that about three quarters of the trips taken by bicyclists are taken by men. And I'm wondering what you men <laughs> make of that and um, whether you think it's an issue and, and what can be done about it. it. it it's, a, it's a big issue. And actually, one of my former students uh, did her thesis project on, on this very subject and um, discovered that there were a number of reasons why there are a lot of women out there who would, who would like to cycle in, a, in an area, in, a, in an urban environment like this, uh, but they are, they are um, reluctant to for, for a number of reasons. Uh, one is the, the, the feeling of vulnerability and, 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 and safety. Um, and also another thing is that uh, part of that safety issue is uh, is wearing a, a helmet of some sort, which you know, as we know as cyclists, is a very very smart thing to do. But that's actually much easier for a guy to think about wearing a, a, a helmet than it, it, it most or for a lot of women. So that's another thing. But it's also um, understanding uh, how how to get around in a particular environment and what would happen if. They got lost, or there was a puncture. They had a puncture, and in, in, in perhaps uh, in an area of the city that they didn't know so well. And uh, her solution was to uh, uh, to create a, um, a a mobile app which uh, would help women communicate with each other as they were cycling, or other men for that matter, and also point out where their nearest source of help was if 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 they had some problem. And um, I think this is being. This is something that uh, is. is uh, we, we will see emerge quite a lot, but but I think it's mainly a. a, a I, I guess women quite quite understandably feel uh, more vulnerable, perhaps, on a bicycle than men. I'll say it's definitely a problem. Um, I think our panel is a good reflection of the transportation decision makers in the world. We are 
gray and white and you know we're middle-aged males and above who's gray and, and i've got a little bit of gray hair <laughs> um but it's definitely a problem and we need more women in transportation women in transportation seminar does really great work you know recruiting women into the transportation and engineering fields planning fields um we need to do better hiring we need to bring more women and minorities into transportation and into making these decisions um, we need our electeds we need more females in elected positions i think that makes a huge difference um, and I'm hoping that this panel and, you know, the composition of our city council right now is kind of a last gasp of the, the male dominance of, of these worlds. Just kind of touching more, I agree with you, yeah. <laughs> um, touching more on the issue of, I guess, reluctance to cycle as a woman, um, in terms of the outreach that you do with the communities and the work that other people do, what are ways that we might be able to overcome that reluctance and because without that, you know, cycling as kind of a viable way to link different forms of transportation for women, like, isn't really there for a lot of them. I'll say we need, we need cycle tracks and we need um, what we call bicycle-friendly streets. Other cities call them bike boulevards. Um, that's where we need to be making more investments. And th both of those are very expensive, but they're um, very affordable when you compare them to other transportation investments you make. So I think um, the city of LA will be there in some, in some years, hopefully sooner rather than later, but... Um, those are the two things. We need cycle tracks and we need um, bike boulevards. Actually, funding is something that I'm still very interested in because as we talk about all these projects, the question remains, like, where is the money going to come from? Um, and I know that it, you're hoping, Denny, with a, an extension of Measure R or Measure R2, um, that you might be able to get more money specifically for these types of projects. Is that right? Or Well, that's, that's a major source. Um, it's an eminent opportunity. Voters have shown themselves ready to support such measures in LA County. I mean, Measure R 67.8, but Measure J was 66.1. Not quite, I mean, a landslide in any place else, but a you know, narrow defeat here. But that really shows we're voters, but there are other opportunities. For example, uh, the state of California is beginning um, a cap and trade uh, auction program that will generate billions of dollars a year in money that can only be used to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. Now, investing in bicycle, pedestrian uh, projects and programs is a good way to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. That's going to be an important resource. It also can be an important resource for uh, keeping transit fares low and expanding transit services. That's an opportunity. We had a bill um, in the legislature in the last uh, year that would have put a $6 motor vehicle surcharge to pay precisely to pay for uh, bicycle investments, student transit pass investments, etc. Um, that bill was made into a two-year bill because the governor wanted to see uh, what the debate over the cap-and-trade program would turn out. So I think those are opportunities, and I think the legislature and the governor are both looking in this direction. I think they want to find, uh, as California's economy recovers, as the budget recovers, they want to find smart investment strategies, resources that voters will support for just these kinds of programs. So I, I'm frankly, I don't know whether I'm just an optimist by nature or whether winning, you know, sort of makes you optimistic, but I think, I think we're at a mojo moment on all this stuff, and it's going to happen over this next decade in a way that, that's going to excite all of us. So that if we knew now what was going to happen, we would be very excited about our community's future. And I'll say the, you know, we have a Republican-dominated Congress that has really kind of changed how transportation funding happens nationally. So we've had cuts in Safe Routes to School funding. We've had cuts um, and some other kind of set-asides specifically for bike ped projects. But some of that has been re reallocated into the Highway Safety Improvement Program, which really prioritizes safety improvements. And bicycle pedestrian projects compete better than any other type of transportation investment in terms of providing a safety benefit. Um, so last year we won $2.5 million to do 40 miles of these really important bike lane projects. I don't know yet whether we have the political capital to make sure we build all those, but I have the money for it. And I'm excited to be presenting those projects um, to our stakeholders across the city. Sure. Speaking of political capital, um, I wanted to bring up the Spring Street bike lanes in downtown, which I know has been a very contentious issue for a lot of people. And the view of the bike community. Is everyone here familiar with what, with what happened there? Is anyone not 
familiar. Okay. So the bright green bike lanes that went in about two years ago, right? On Spring Street from just up there all the way down to where Spring hits Maine, I guess it is. Um, they were painted like a fluorescent green color on the western side of Spring Street. And the idea was that this would protect cyclists, encourage more people to get on their bikes. And the film community in Los Angeles raised a huge ruckus because they said it ruined the one street in downtown Los Angeles that represented other cities and a lot of their filming. Not only... Not only things that, um, you know, some things can be edited out post-production, but they said that the actual presence of the lane created kind of a greenish cast on people's faces because of the lights and the other things that they were using. And in the last couple of months, this has played out and has been decided. Um, the lanes will be removed and repainted with almost no paint. A four-inch strip of forest green paint will go on one on either side of the white lines, and that's it. So you lose about 90% of the paint inside the well, lane. We're, we're keeping the paint at the most important areas. So at the conflict zones, the merge areas, um, we're keeping the paint. And that has always been our recommendation, um, similar to how it's done on First Street and Boyle Heights. Um, I am myself disappointed that the green will be a little bit more muted, but it's still within the guidelines that FHWA kind of provided for. Um, and it's third to ninth, so we're, we'll still have the green carpet right out front here, and in front of Spring, in front of a Grand Park. Um, but yeah, the we're, we'll be more focused as we move forward on these types of projects. I wanted to. I mean, this is. I don't want to grill you in front of everyone, but you know, this idea that it's all well and good to say that we're going to put in all these bicycle improvements, but then when you when you know your feet are really held to the fire by an industry that has a lot of power in the city. Like, what should we expect? I mean, is that something that will continue? Or are, what's going to be the plan moving forward for the city in, in terms of that? So we feel pretty good about the... We were mostly doing a materials test with the green treatment out here, just trying to figure out what material we liked, what kind of worked best over time. Um, I think the green program will move forward. Um, I'm not sure yet how we'll prioritize um, the green treatment. It's very expensive. Um, but I think it makes sense to do it where we have the most riders where you have the most potential for conflict, where you need that extra guidance. Um, but, but honestly, I'm more excited about doing cycle tracks at some point. Okay, and I think we have, we don't have very much time left, so I wanted to get to one more section and I think we'll pretty much be done. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about education and especially in um, the Latino community in Los Angeles. I, in my research earlier today and earlier this week, um, I was reading some statistics that said that a disproportionately high number of Latino cyclists are killed um, because of either bike riding practices that they learned in a country besides the United States or because of they haven't been educated in the way that um, people tend to ride bikes here, whether it's riding on the sidewalk or crossing at the crosswalk, certain issues that may help make them safer as cyclists. So what are some strategies to help those communities and other communities um, kind of learn the way that and even people who like run stop signs, you know, to like operate better within the framework that already exists on the roads. Yeah, so we can definitely do better at education. We can do better at making our streets safe. Um, there's just a lot of avenues we can go and, and kind of there, our Latino community, our immigrant population are kind of a good indicator spe species of the safety of our streets. And right now we just don't, streets are just not that safe. Um, so we, just, we have to make our streets safer for, for everybody. Um, we can do better at education. Um, we need better education across the board in our schools. We have a program called Safe Moves that goes into our schools and kind of gives kids uh, a first look at, at kind of bike safety and walking safety, but we can do much better. There are a lot of great examples in other countries about how to do this type of education, how to make it really work. I, um, I'll, I'll be quick. So having grown up on another continent where cycling has been a pretty much mainstay of transportation for many decades, um, it seems to me that it's a much more recent phenomena here, and I don't think there's been ever any kind of official guidance as to what the right etiquette is for riding bicycles in an urban environment. And it's not particular to any one part of our population. I, I, I'm, as a, as a, in car driving mode, I'm sometimes quite um, shaken by uh, cyclists of all sizes and colors and and uh, coming at me from unexpected directions. And I don't think there is really enough uh, uh, education. You know, if you, if you apply for a driver's license for a car here, you're supposed to read through a, a driving manual and obey the rules. But I, I'm not aware of people uh, 
being able to access similar information for riding bicycles. See, I, I think there's a much bigger problem in West Side and downtown hipsters. They, I mean, I mean, I'm sorry, you know, they just think they own the place. <laughs> yeah, there's also a good argument to be made that our motoring population needs more education. You know, we need to cover our brakes when you're at a stop sign. Um, you need to respect stop bars. Um, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> um, and that actually... We all need to relax, right? <laughs> and I think from my questions, that pretty much wraps it up. Um, I think now we're taking questions from the audience. Jeff Jacoberger, I'm the chair of the LA Bicycle Advisory Committee. Um, I guess the question is about carving out separate funding for bike and ped projects versus ensuring that bike and ped issues are addressed in, you know, from the start of certain projects like the 405 widening or, you know, the expo line. And, you know, it's my understanding sort of that the bike path that's going to go along expo phase two is much more expensive because it wasn't, they weren't designed in concert with each other. So can you just talk a little bit about the importance of sort of ensuring that all of our transportation projects are complete multimodal projects. A smart strategy is a carve-out that ensures a minimum level of funding availability, but also an obligation on the part of transit design and transit investments that a certain percentage of stationary money, for example, will go for first mile and last mile um, um, access that ensures good pedestrian and bicycle access to stations. We should be doing both of those things. Um, but there's no substitute for having, you know, a dedicated fund that is not competing with other objectives, but rather uh, where priority projects in bicycle uh, uh, infrastructure are themselves uh, targeted. Hi, my name is Siobhan Dolan. I'm a volunteer at the Bicycle Kitchen Co-op. Um, before I get to my question, I do have a comment. I do take um, a big issue with having three white males uh, speak on behalf of women and how they feel about riding. Um, there are as many men as there are women that come into my co-op and discuss feeling afraid of being on the roads here. So I would like that to really be noted. Um, but my question is, when we were dealing with uh, the Spring Street uh, green, there was an original green and then a second green. What are we doing to work on best practices with other cities and other countries? The green, there's a spectrum that you can choose from. Um, the green apparently was kind of right in the middle of that spectrum. We just kind of picked the one right in the middle. Um, I think brighter is obviously better. But um, yeah, we're trying to pay attention to what other cities are doing. And my apologies about the composition of the panel. <laughs> I'm a resident of uh, Los Angeles, an art center student, and also a recent uh, um, resident of Boston and Spain. And I was wondering if you guys had any input on shared use uh, bicycle programs that might be available for Los Angeles in the near future. I know Pasadena um, is looking into that opportunity, and I was hoping to see that that might be something as a part of the Los Angeles committee at large. We actually do have a bike share program that was supposed to roll out this summer. Um, I wrote a story about this a couple weeks ago. It's actually been delayed until sometime next year, and we don't know how long it's going to be. Um, the way that it's set up, it's a private company that's willing to foot all of the funding itself um, to no cost to the city. And what they've learned is that there's an exclusive advertising contract between the city and a company called CBS JC Deco that includes all street furniture advertising. The billboards that you see, the bus stations, stuff like that. Um, and that means that they can't put any advertising on the kiosks where they would sell the bikes or rent the bikes. So they're trying to figure out a new profit model. There's still plenty to come, but it's going to be longer than we expected. I know that it's a priority of our new mayor, and it's, a lot of people are very excited about it, so I think it is definitely coming. Have you found any cities that are comparable to Los Angeles that have successfully implemented pedestrian and bicycle measures, and like how have they approached the fiscal problems and I mean instead of trying to reinvent things like can we look at other cities and what cities do you think have successfully done this? No cities like Los Angeles but we're definitely there's definitely a lot of great examples across the world across our own nation that are making really great bike ped investments um, you know we have New York as a good example they've done cycle tracks um, in Manhattan they've kind of reallocated space for really great pedestrian projects 
Um, I really like looking at Vancouver. Um, they have some really great infrastructure where they've made really great investments. Um, Portland, Seattle. Um, I really like looking at Mexico City, honestly, as a really good example of a big, sprawling city that has made some really important bicycle investments. You know, they already have a subway on a grid. Um, they have bike share in a way that I think will work here. You know, they have really a lot of different centers um, that are kind of connected together. Um, they're just, they're trying to do a lot with a little, which is what we're going to need to do as well. So I think Mexico City is really a, a really good, good one to look at for us as well. My name is Stephanie Panaccia. I'm um, a resident here. Um, but I'm a native New Yorker, which is why I'm asking um, about mass transit here in LA. And I'm just wondering if anyone can speak to uh, what seems to me kind of to be a sort of um, deficient uh, mass transit system. And I'm wondering if you see that as a reason for their, this like divide really between like drivers and bicyclists, or if perhaps investing more in mass transit might actually help bicyclists because then less people will be on the road. I would argue that there's actually a lot more mass transit around Los Angeles than most people uh, under, uh, realize, uh, uh, some people realize, one of the problems is stitching all the different elements of the mass transit together, uh, which I think is improving quite rapidly. And to get back to Danny's earlier point, I think that first and last mile uh, concentration is also a great way of helping uh, transit systems uh, help us all get around the city too. Right, and, and you should know that um the voters have voted a major investment. There'll be uh, another $20 billion invested in rail transit over the next uh, couple decades here, and it'll more than double the rail transit system here. It'll be transformative. Um, they also provided an enormous uh, revenue stream to keep bus fares low. So I think the, the, the prospects for transit here um, in the near future are quite good. And I do think that that will create opportunities uh, for other, for bicycle investments, for example, by relieving pressure on the roadbed that it will enable uh, bicycle uses to become more prominent on, on that system. And I think Metro really makes bicycling possible for me. And I think it makes bicycling possible for a lot of people. You know, you ride to your station or you ride to your bus. Um, so I think they really work really well. They work well together here. Um, and yes, transit definitely needs to be better. Um, I think there's a huge opportunity for, for you know, more railways, more, uh, more bus rapid transit. There's um, a lot of ways to do it better, but it, they work together really well right now, for, for depending on where you live and work. My name is Megan Sally-Wells. I'm the vice mayor of Culver City. Uh, I'm a cyclist. I'm also the co-founder of the Culver City Bicycle Coalition. Um, you asked earlier about um, how you get the hardcore drivers to be willing to invest in bicycle infrastructure. And some of the arguments that I use in my own city are, um, you know, bikes are good for business. That argument seems to work because a lot of business owners recognize that when people are in these metal boxes going fast, they're not stopping and they're not patronizing businesses. Whereas when they're strolling down the street or riding uh, with their nice little basket, uh, they're going to pick up that baguette and you know maybe have a glass of wine or something like that. Um, another thing is, you know, we have to we know that some people cannot or will not bike. And that's, you know, my grandmother will not bike. It's not safe for her. Um, the other argument for her is the, the, le the more we have cyclists, the less we have drivers. So, you know, it just helps to make the streets safe, not only safer, as was said earlier, but also decongestioning the streets as well. I think those are both really salient arguments. And I hope as we have more and more bike projects, we'll have more kind of local data um, there's a real bias in Los Angeles to think that we're really, really special as a city um, and that, you know, other examples elsewhere don't really apply here. But I think we're starting to see studies from New York, um, from a lot of places that bicycling is really good for business. And I think as some of our projects have a longer life here, we'll be able to have that data and make that argument here with really local data, which is will be really important for us. And I'm a lifelong bike rider and I have I'm also a native New Yorker. I've been here for a long time and uh, waiting for bicycle, uh, bi a bicycle life in Los Angeles. But now that I'm riding with a lot of other people in LA, uh, I did um, uh, a, a night ride and uh, a kid got killed because he was on a fixie with no helmet 
Um, I just rode in Ciclavia. I got uh, some two riders on a tandem who didn't know what they were doing, took me out, busted my collarbone, the, and they took off. The deal is, uh, how do we educate uh, our riders to stop being um, frivolous and, uh, and um, incapable of really being concerned about their fellow riders? And one other thing about global riding, we have one of the rudest populations in the world. Our people don't care about other people as much as people in other countries do. We're not quite as courteous. So can you speak to bike-to-bike uh, -bike, uh, safety and etiquette, please? Those are really tragic examples, and I remember that story when it came out, and it really pains, pains me when I think about it. Um, I, I try to step back and look at the bigger picture. We, we need to be more, more, more courteous as a society, certainly. I don't know how we, how we do that. It's, the times are really tough economically. There's just a lot of frustration in the world right now, and we're in a momentous shift, and I don't know how to make that better, how to make that easier for people. Um, we do need to do a better job of education. Um, I met a new um, senior lead officer in the Northeast LA division. Um, her name's Jennifer Thomas, but she was really excited about setting up this program for kids that she's gonna talk about, um, recruiting kids to you know, be a part of their I can't remember the name of it, but you know, you know, recruiting kids to kind of be take part, be civically engaged in their neighborhood, and you know, educate people and just kind of keep an eye on their neighborhoods. And I approached her and talked to her about, you know, we have these little pamphlets about rules of the road, and I think it would be great if we could recruit those kids to help teach other kids about the rules of the road. Um, it's small steps like that that are really important. Um, it's really, it's a lot of small steps from a lot of different people is what it's going to take, and. Um, the good thing about Los Angeles is there is a lot of good energy right now. You know, Jessica Meany at Safer School back there doing really great work, um, trying to get better, um, trying to get better education programs for cyclists and for people walking. Um, but yeah, it's, there's a in Los Angeles, um, there's a lot of people really inspired about bicycling and walking, and um, here you can really be inspired and do something about it. And I see that happening in communities across the city. Um, there's a really neat movement happening in South LA right now that's really homegrown where people are getting excited about bikes and um, really neighbor to neighbor talking about um, these types of things. And I think that's the promise of Los Angeles, that it's going to be a very multi, kind of broad, uh, multicultural, and very specific to individual neighborhoods, how this happens in a better way. Uh, Jeff Carr, it's a fairly simple question when you're talking about specifics, and that is in Berkeley, I was impressed with the low cost of having a series of poles at a diagonal across the street, and it just sort of slowed the cars coming down, the, the bicycles could still glide right through. I don't know if we've tried that at all in Los Angeles, or if you have any plans to be doing that. I'm not a big fan of bollards, but I am a big fan of, you know, low-cost investments and um, our pedestrian group has been experimenting with, you know, using planters for putting off these plazas and parklets. And I think there is an opportunity for us to do the kind of bike boulevards with some of those planters and some strategic locations to do kind of simple, simple traffic calming before we get the full-blown, um, you know, roundabouts and the, the real 100% uh, investment that we need. But yeah, I, we're def I definitely want to see that happen.